Last week, uh, we asked the question from the book of Ezekiel, can these bones live? It was actually a question that God asked the prophet Ezekiel. He gave him a vision of a valley filled with dry bones. Those dry bones represented the people of Israel, that they had been cut off from God. And, and he asked Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Is there any hope? This morning, we're going to ask the same question, can these bones live? But instead of that question being about the people of God, this large group of people, the question is going to be about one person in particular, one young man who was very, very sick. Can these bones live? Uh, we are returning to our series through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we had gotten up to chapter 9 uh, Right before the summer, we read about the transfiguration, which is where, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and there in their presence, his appearance transfigured right before them. His clothes became blindingly white, and then they heard the voice of God say, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And Peter, James, and John thought, this is good for us to be here. In fact, we don't want this moment to end. And so they put up tents to, to try and prolong that moment. Life on the mountaintop is sweet. I was thinking about that, the first song that we sang, Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world is all as it should be, when everything is going right, when we are on the proverbial mountaintop. We don't want that moment to end. It's sweet. But as you and I both know, we don't get to stay on the mountaintop forever. Sometimes we, we have to come down from the mountain. And when we come down, we come to an earth that is littered with dry bones. We're going to see that today. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Father God, you are Lord of the mountaintop. You are also Lord of the valley. We ask that you administer to us today through the power of your word so that we might be people who are marked by faith and hope wherever we are, whether it be the mountaintop or the valley. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and we're picking it up at verse 14. Uh, and this is now when Jesus and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, are coming down the mountain. Verse 14. When they came down the mountain... To the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. They're no longer on the mountaintop. No sooner do they come down from the mountain and what do they observe? An argument. Religious leaders, disciples, all bickering with one another, arguing. As soon as all of the people saw Jesus they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. I wonder if, if Jesus had that heavenly aura, kind of like Moses, 
Remember when Moses was before God in Mount Sinai and he came down and he was blinding white? I wonder if Jesus still had a kind of a heavenly glow. There's something that, that the people see Jesus and they are in awe and wonder and they run to greet him. No longer are they engrossed with the argument. That's an interesting thought. There's probably a sermon series there. When we see Jesus, our arguments tend to, to stop. They run to Jesus, and and the question I have is this. Who do you think was the happiest, the most eager there to see Jesus? Was it the disciples, the nine that had been left at the bottom of the mountain? They've been arguing with religious leaders. Normally, this is what Jesus did. He handled the heavy lifting, but now they're the ones who are having to, to defend their actions and And being assaulted by the religious leaders, were they so relieved to see Jesus coming down the mountain? Was it the religious leaders? They had come to kind of vet Jesus and vet his ministry and make sure that everything he was doing was was on par, that he wasn't challenging their authority. Or was it the crowd who was the happiest to see Jesus? They had heard that he was in the area. They had come to, to see him, but instead they just found the nine disciples. It actually turns out, as we continue reading, that there was someone else more eager, more happy to see Jesus than any of the others. It was someone who had been living in the Valley of Dry Bones for a very long time. Someone who was tired. Someone whose faith and and hope had become just a a morsel in their life, a morsel that was in danger of being swallowed. I think he was the most eager, the most desperate to see Jesus. What are you arguing about? Jesus asked. It's not clear who he's asking that question to, whether it's his disciples or whether it's the, the religious leaders. What are you arguing about? Instead of the disciples answering, instead of the religious leaders answering, there is a voice from the crowd. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. Now we know why it is that this man was so eager, so desperate to see Jesus. His son, his own son, was was very sick and had been sick for a long time. Let me ask you, if you were to take those symptoms, he, he gets seized up, he has seizures, and he falls to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and he becomes rigid. If you were to take those symptoms and go to your internet browser and plug them into WebMD, what do you think WebMD would tell you is the cause for those symptoms? Anybody? Epilepsy. Epilepsy. These are symptoms that we're familiar with. We we call it epilepsy. The reason this boy has seizures and is thrown to the ground is because there's some electrical signals in his brain that are routinely getting mixed up. 
Back in Jesus' day, they called it moonstruck. They thought that epilepsy was due to the, the phases of the moons. This, this father is assuming that his son is possessed by an evil spirit. Today, 50 million people around the world suffer from epilepsy, making it one of the most common neurological diseases. So let me ask you a question that I don't want you to answer too quickly. Does that mean that there are 50 million people who are being tormented right now by evil spirits and in need of an exorcism? Don't answer the question too quickly. Is epilepsy the result of demonic influence? Or is epilepsy a, a scientific condition that can be explained by, by natural means without any need to consider any spiritual, supernatural, natural influence? A result of simply living in a fallen world in bodies that are, are, are broken, prone to breaking down. Again, don't answer the questions too quickly. We can ask the question about any of our conditions, any of our ailments, any of our, our mental health things that we tend to struggle with. How about depression and anxiety? Certainly that, that affects many, many people. Many here in this room can identify with that, depression and anxiety. Is depression and anxiety a matter of spiritual oppression or is it due to a chemical imbalance in the brain we could go on with other conditions and ailments these are difficult questions they're delicate questions they're questions that call us to tread lightly because on the one hand i think that we can do immeasurable damage by making this assumption that someone who is sick is demon-possessed. That could be quite damaging. I don't think we as the church are called to be ghostbusters, that we're called to go around performing uninvited exorcisms. But on the other hand, we can neglect what Jesus has called us, the church, to do, to engage in ministries of healing, Jesus gave us the, the charge without any nuance. We are called to, to engage in ministries of healing. We can neglect what Jesus has called us to do by slapping a scientific condition, something that, that, that we think we understand on it, by just leaving it for the doctors to, to handle or leaving it for the, the more charismatic church up the road to deal with. The way I have framed the question is misleading. I basically asked, is sickness caused by natural means or supernatural means? Is there a scientific explanation for sickness or a spiritual explanation for sickness? Framing the question this way in this either or, this binary, it's either one or the other is misleading. Because as you and I both know, the world that we live in is both spiritual and and physical, supernatural and natural. Those aren't divided so, so cleanly. The spiritual world, the, the natural world, they commingle with one another. They overlap with one another. We are physical beings, 
but we are also spiritual beings. And what that means is that, that we might have some physical manifestations that show up in our life that have spiritual causes. And in this instance, that was one of those times. So here's the really difficult question that I've been wrestling with, and I'm going to invite you to wrestle with too. How do we know? How do we know whether we should take an ibuprofen for the headache that we have or whether we should do what James said and said, call the elders and invite them to pray over you? I so wish I had an easy answer for that question, and I don't. I think the answer that God has given us is the word discernment. He calls us to discern. He calls us to walk by the Spirit and discern as we go what is going on. This I know, there's never a bad time to pray. There's never a, a wrong time to pray. So this is me speaking. This is what I would say. I would say if taking an ibuprofen makes the headache go away, take the ibuprofen. If taking a prescription makes the chemical imbalance in your brain get settled and, and relieves you of depression, anxiety, take the prescription. But also, don't be closed to the, the possibility that, that this is something more going on, that, that we need to be in prayer about this. We need to maybe even invite the elders to, to pray for us. And also, don't be closed to the idea that maybe God is calling you to intervene on someone else's behalf, that you are the one who's called to, to pray, called to a ministry of healing. So for the father, it really didn't matter. It didn't matter if the cause was purely physical or if the cause was spiritual, which he assumed it was, or if it was both. What mattered for this father was that his son, his son, was not well. There is a, a special kind of grieving, a special kind of pain that is reserved for a parent whose child's not well. And, and I am thinking of several of you in the room right now, and I know that you know that pain. You know that pain intimately. And so he has come to Jesus, and he is seeking a cure for his son. He's seeking someone to, to, to heal his son, to cast out the demon. He's looking for Jesus, but instead of Jesus, he gets the disciples, Jesus' disciples. This wasn't their first rodeo. Remember, Jesus had sent them out earlier and charged them to, to heal and to cast out demons, and they had done so successfully. But now, for some reason, their attempts are failing. Continuing in the scripture, I asked your disciples, he said, to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. 
Can you imagine being the father of a child who's been wrestling with that for so many years? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I believe! Help me in my unbelief. I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to identify with the father. Ever since his young son was a, was a child, just a, a little boy, he had been suffering from this epilepsy, suffering from this demonic oppression. I am sure the father exhausted everything that he knew to do. He had probably spent incredible amounts of money seeking healing for his boy. He had probably consulted all kinds of physicians and, and doctors and tried all kinds of alternative medicines and nothing worked. As a father, you know that he had that, that protective instinct that, that so badly wanted to step in and fix this for his son, but he was helpless. His son foaming at the mouth, on the ground, writhing in pain. And this dad could only watch, watch him in anguish and not do a single thing for him. And so we understand his desperation. We understand his doubt. He tried everything. Jesus, if you can, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I wonder if that father had been up on the mountain a day earlier with Peter, James, and John and witnessed what they witnessed. If he saw Jesus transfigure in appearance, if he saw his clothes suddenly become blindingly white, if he heard the voice of the Father say, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. If he knew this one in front of him was the one who in the beginning of time said, let there be light, and there was light. I wonder if he would have showed up that that day with a little more confidence, a little less doubt, if he knew what you and I know, would have, would have he had more faith? Like us, right? And we know these things. We know that Jesus is, is Lord of heaven and earth. We know that that all power and dominion and authority belong to him, and all he has to do is say the word, and things will change. We know these things, and yet we still identify with this man. I believe. I believe. Help me, because I also have a whole lot of unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Those two statements, they appear contradictory, don't they? I believe. Help me, because there's part of me that, that doesn't believe. We want to say, which is it? Do you believe or do you, you not believe? But the reality is, this is us. Our faith is fragile. And in our heart of hearts, we do believe. I believe that the one who said, let there be light and there is light, could, could heal us from anything. And yet, we also have evidence that he doesn't always heal. 
Sometimes things don't work out the way we are praying and, and hoping, and so we struggle. Help us. What do you think was Jesus' reaction, his emotional reaction to this, Father, I believe Jesus. Help me in my unbelief. I want to say that, that this was a, a prayer that he loved to hear. It's an honest prayer. It's a God-honoring prayer. It's a prayer that acknowledges even our faith really in the end isn't up to us. The scripture says faith is a gift. God, give me the gift. Give me a stronger faith because my faith is, is fragile. Help me overcome my belief. It's not a shameful thing to pray. In fact, it's a great thing to pray. And so Jesus replies, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that the man said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. He healed the boy, physically, spiritually, healed, freed from the demon, never to be possessed again. There's a, another layer to this story that, that is worth us noting. There's more going on than just a, a temporal healing, because that boy that, that Jesus healed one day he would die. Like this is a, a temporary healing. One day that boy would become a corpse like he looked at the time. One day he would die. One day we're going to die. One day we will, we will be a corpse. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. And then he went a step further. This is astounding. He said, he who believes in me will never die. Will never die. So there's going to come a day when the people that you love, they're going to die. There's going to come a day that you're going to die. This summer we gathered because Karen's mom, Nancy Jane, died. And we were standing at the visitation around a casket, and in the casket is a corpse. But not for one second did I believe that that was Nancy Jane. That was the shell of her body. Because I know what happened the moment she took her last breath. Jesus lifted her by the hand, gave her new life, resurrected life, this is the hope that we have. This is the assurance that we have. Don't let the corpse in the coffin fool you. Scripture says for those who believe and receive Jesus, they will never die. Never die. And so this is just a small step from this life to the next. That is our, our ultimate hope Praise God for the healings that we get on this side of eternity. 
Praise God that he intervenes in our life and, and helps us when we're sick and, and even oppressed by demons. But praise God even more that he has taken care of our biggest sickness, death. He's Lord of life, Lord of death. There is a, a lingering question that needs to be asked, and the disciples ask it. Why couldn't we cast this demon out? We've done it before. Why couldn't we do it this time, Jesus? After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind comes out only by prayer. A strange thing. Is it possible that the disciples had tried to engage in this spiritual conflict, this spiritual battle in their own strength? Had they neglected to, to actually call on God and seek his healing hand? Is this why Jesus was so exasperated when he said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Well, it's probably obvious to us it needs to be stated, apart from Christ, we have no power. We have no authority. We, we shouldn't be engaging in spiritual battle in our own strength. Apart from Christ, entering into a, a battle, a spiritual battle, is like fighting without a spirit, without a sword, or without a shield. It's simply foolish. How many things do we try to do and fail because we're just doing them in our own power, in our own reasoning, in our own strength, with no reliance upon Christ. I want to close with just one last observation. Uh, this father had come seeking healing for his son. He invited the disciples to heal his son. He invited Jesus to heal his son. This was literally faith in action. This is what faith looks like. He came not, not strongly, not with overwhelming confidence, but he came to Jesus, and he brought that which was, was just so wrecked in his life. He brought it to Jesus. Even marred with disbelief, he brought it to Jesus. This is what we're called to do. Is there ever a bad time to come to Jesus? I don't think so. Join me as we pray. Lord, you know, uh, on this side of, of heaven, we struggle. We struggle with all kinds of ailments, ailments that are, are physical, emotional, mental. Lord, you are our Lord over all, and, and we know that if you say the word, we, we can be healed. So we ask for that. And I pray for people who have been walking with things and maybe afraid to, to come into light or to, to come to others and say, pray for me. Lord, help us take that, that next step of faith. But Lord, we rest in the assurance that uh, you have conquered death and that there will be a day that you will reach down and you will lift the corpse up into life eternal. Lord, you are so good to us. We worship you and praise you this morning.